everybody, I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Well, welcome to episode nine. Today, our guest is Pastor Rebecca Boardman who is the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona. So say hello from sunny Arizona. Hi, AJ (laughs) and all her followers. (laughs) Nice to be here. I'm really glad to have you. Um, So uh, Rebecca was one of my my favorite, and I do say the word favorite, uh, colleagues when I I worked in the campus ministry world. She was... um, always a person I I enjoyed spending time with and quite frankly, just like coming to about anything. Um, And also if anybody recently um, watched or went to my ordination, um, this delightful person is who presided over our remembrance of baptism, Thanksgiving for baptism, excuse me, and wrote it herself. She did a great job. I'm just, (laughs) but fun fact um, as a native Texan, um, the word Makokita is a river in Iowa. And that was just like, it did not roll off my tongue. I have to say it's a, I love, a few, so, few so times. John Fry is just like whispering in her ear over and over, like right before she started. Makokita, Makokita, Makokita. Oh, I butchered that. <laughs> no, you didn't. Not out loud. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. I remember you coming in um, to me before the surface and you said something word. I don't even remember what word it is, but I, it was so not even close and unintelligible that I didn't recognize you were trying to say the word Makokita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you got to coach the uh, the reader before they they read the passage in, in Sunday and you needed to coach me in Iowa. It's just, just not a native uh, word for me. Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah. And I think it meant a lot. It, it meant a lot to me anyways, but I'm sure it meant a lot to, to people there too about like, oh, who's this person coming in? And she knows our rivers and such. Well, this is great. Thinking about God and all the water. Yeah, it's good stuff. Anyways, thank you. Uh-huh. Glad to be here. Uh, and I'm excited about this conversation, girl. Uh, I think I was surprised when you said, let's talk about Genesis, but then I um, read it and I said, oh yeah, let's, let's jump in. This is well, um, this is definitely one of those passages that needs to get unpacked. Right. And this is, you know, the whole point of our podcast. We, un- we unpack definitely. those things that, that need to be unpacked. Um, and I think for, for people who, you know, go and sit through church on Sunday and pretty much their only Bible reading is when someone gets up front and reads these things, you know, they're reading snippets, they're outside of their larger context, and they don't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, and so I think it's important for us to, to make some sense out of it. And also just some things really need to be talked about. Um, (laughs) Yes. Like looked at from a different way. Genesis three. So um, today for, for those of you who do plan on going to church on Sunday, this will be the old Testament reading that you hear for Sunday, June 6th, which is the second Sunday after Pentecost. For those of you who aren't, we have a really good conversation today for you about probably one of the most, probably not one of, like maybe the most well-known story in, in the Bible and, and what it means for us and how it's been used throughout history. Mm-hmm. 
So this is actually um, part two of the whole part of the story of, of Genesis 3. So we're going to read to you part two of the story, which is Genesis 3, uh, verses 8 through 15. Um, and the version I'm going to read to you today is what I call the NRSV AJ version, uh, which means I went back in and edited it just a little bit um, to make it, I don't know, a little bit better. <laughs> Mostly I just... I just edited some language to make it, I think, easier because sometimes you have a lot of he said, then he said, then he said, and you're like, who are these he's? And so just kind of like um, parsing some of those out. But anyways, so here we go. Three to, not three, Genesis three, verses eight to 15. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat, and all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. They will strike your head, and you will strike their heel. I think, um, to add, I, I think one more verse fully encompasses the way that this kind of plays out in history. Verse 16, to the woman, God says, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Good old Genesis three. Okay. <laughs> so um, verses one through seven, which we don't have here, um, is where, um, you know, the serpent tempts Eve to eat the apple because it's apple. It's fruit. We've made it an apple. We'll talk about that. Um, the serpent tempts Eve to eat the fruit. And she's like, no, I'm not supposed to. And he tempts her anyways. Um, and then she eats it. And then she gives it to the husband. And then he eats it. That's pretty much what happened in the first few verses. And their minds were open and they knew that they were naked. So here's the thing. I think just right off the bat, um, in the in the Hebrew understanding of scriptures, that a story is always a story, right? And there's stories inside of stories, and there's never just one interpretation that um, by nature, um, and we see this later on, even right, like Jesus, the rabbi, they're, they're always answering um, with questions, right? And so there's there's so many ways to kind of fuss around this. But the one thing that we do know <laughs> is that it's never, ever, ever meant to be a literal story. 
right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not like a historical account of an event. And somehow it's turned into that. And then it became this, um, this really like the, the nexus of, um, of women being the source of the women being the source of evil and temptation in the world. And it's, I don't know, AJ, that if you could pinpoint kind of one story in human history, this has been one of those damaging texts that um, was taken so far out of context that it, yeah. that it, it has been really destructive. I, I think it's important to understand um, that like, we as Christians are like borrowing um, these Hebrew mm -hmm. scriptures um, and to understand that like sometimes, and by sometimes really a lot of time, um, Christians tend to appropriate Hebrew scriptures in whatever way benefits us most, not mm -hmm. taking into account um, what it actually means to the people who wrote it. Um, and understanding that, you know, these stories came out of an oral tradition, right? We, we've talked about that before on the podcast that like, mm -hmm. they weren't written down for lots and lots and lots of years. Um, they were passed, you know, like telephone from person to person to person. And then finally mm -hmm. someone, you know, a few people wrote them down, um, and, and different people too. So like Genesis, um, they can kind of parse it apart and, and find that there are four different authors in the book of Genesis, uh, which is important to know because there's a few different lenses for, for the different stories, mm -hmm. right? So in, you know, in these first just two chapters of Genesis, we have two totally different creation stories. Um, and people explain that away a little bit, you know, differently. Um, like in, in Genesis 1, when God creates the world in seven days and says it's good and that he creates humans um, at the same time, male and female, he created them, boom, together, right there. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden in Genesis 2, um, God created the male first and then the female second from the male. And this has then been appropriated to mean that women are, are lesser and inferior because they were created second. Um, and so first of all, it's important to know, again, like, this is an appropriation of, of, of <laughs> these passages. <laughs> um, and to understand that these stories were never meant to be, be taken literally. Um, and, and they're not to the, the people to whom they actually, you know, really belong. Um, and to understand that like, this is their origin story, right? Like if you're, you know, into mm -hmm. all of the Marvel and the, and the DC universes, they're really big on origin stories right now where <laughs> all of those people came from. Um, and so this is the, this is the origin story of the Israelites. Um, mm -hmm. And that is not to be said that it is the one only way of understanding um, that, right? That even, even these, the scriptures in Genesis make reference to like the other tribes, right? Like right. they didn't actually claim to be the, the only people that's never been a mindset. Um, we came up with that a lot later. A lot later. <laughs> a lot yeah, later. I, I, I think just it it goes to show that from the beginning of time, humans have asked questions, right? About where do we come from? Where does evil come from? Um, why am I different than someone else? You know, where? Uh, and so I think you have to look to um, the ancient storytellers to see. Um, the uniquenesses, but also the similarities. I remember the first time mm -hmm. I uh, was introduced to the Epic of Gilgamesh, it like blew my mind. Cause I'm like, what are you talking about? They have the same kind of flood story that we do. And um, right. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different ways. And so like 
um, for example, so I think you could say that um, snakes get a bad rap here going forward, right? Because of this, this passage, but in the ancient, so the ancient Greeks perceived snakes as healers and they were considered sacred because of that. They could use the venom, they could extract, um, you know, all kinds of things that were used in rituals. And we see that even today, right? With the American Medical Association using the intertwining snakes as their, as their symbol, that's where that comes from. And so you could have um, stories of the same era that would be competing narratives, right? Because there are different ways to understand creatures. There are different ways to understand. And that's okay. I think we live in a, a world now where we have the, the capacity to say there are multiple truths, right? And so, and that is what we're trying to do today, right? Is to understand scripture in such a way to say, okay, how does this make sense for us um, in this time and place with the knowledge that we have? Yeah. So really to say like, what does this, um, you know, what does this tell us about God and what does this tell us about our faith? Um, I've recently started like a, a children's, an online children's Bible study. And like, that's the question every week when we read these stories, what does mm-hmm. this tell us about God? Um, you know, we just got done doing Noah's Ark. Right. And so like, what does this tell us about God in this story? And we talked about creation, right? We don't believe that, you know, creation was literally created in seven days, but rather this Mm -hmm. is a story for us to learn something about God and God's relationship with God's people. And that's, and sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that um, what we were starting to talk about before the, the podcast that, Dr. Anna Carter Florence, who's a preaching professor at Columbia in, um, in Georgia, just blew my mind uh, when I heard her speak a few years ago. And she talked to, and she's written a book about this, about for so long, we've been fixated on the nouns in scripture, the who, what, where, when, the facts, right? Give me the plot. Um, when in fact, how about we shift to the verbs? Because that's really where we see God at work. And that's the the fastest way to get um, to the harder questions. I think mm-hmm. that frankly, we like to focus on the, the nouns because then we can um, spend all our time saying, oh, what was happening and what were they eating? And could you really grow apples in this place? Or no, they only grow pomegranates. Like we could spend a long time talking about that, but is that really at the heart of what God's trying to teach us? No, I think in this passage, we look at the verbs that say, okay, God calls to the man heard he was afraid he was naked and he hid oh haven't we all heard (laughs) calling out to us and we hear god but oh no we are afraid and we're naked we're exposed we're vulnerable in some way and so we too hide right and often when hiding doesn't work what's the next thing we do we blame it on somebody else right and so that that's a universal story Right. And that is something um, that's worth talking about, I think, because all of us can relate to um, wanting the ideal of perfection and yet realizing whether it's a family vacation or your dream job or whatever it is, there's no such thing as the Garden of Eden. Right. There's no perfect place where there's no dissension, no quarrels. We live in the real world. And and in a sense, God needs to lead us out of the garden because God desires us to live with with real people, with real problems, 
right? And to, to challenge us um, to say it's not enough um, to blame someone else. Yeah, to take that vulnerability out into the world. Yeah, which is a lot of what this story, like we, we get that blame game, right? And so like, mm-hmm. um, you know, right here, you see it. Um, he blames the woman and the woman blames the, the serpent, um, which mm-hmm. another fun thing. So he, you know, in this language too, that we have the man says, the woman that you gave to be with me, she did this. Um, <laughs> and so you have that, like placing that blame on God too. Like, well, you put her here. Um, which you know what, that let's, let's talk about it. Right. Like you put her here, you put the snake here, you put the tree here. Like, okay. Did God orchestrate this whole thing? I I don't know. I don't know either. And that's, that's something that like, you know, it's something to, to, to wrestle with and about what the, the authors could have meant by that. But I want to talk about this, this blame game with women and where this came from and about how all the way throughout history, how this has been used, has been used honestly, just against women, that it's women's fault. There is sin in the world, that this is the interpretation that we, we get from really from, from Christianity. Um, But I want to read a a direct quote here from uh, Dr. Shana Dolansky, who is um, a professor um, she's a Jewish scholar and a professor of religion and humanities at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. And I think that she just kind of sums this up really, really well. Um, she says, when I ask them about this story on the first day of class, my students tell me that it's the tale of the first man and the first woman and original sin, that Satan tempts them, they eat the apple, and they get kicked out of paradise. Except there's no Satan in this story. Apples didn't grow in the ancient Near East. And the word sin doesn't occur in Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible until chapter four. The concept of the devil isn't invented until the first century BCE. And 500 to 700 years after this story was most likely written. And original sin is an idea first put forward by the Bishop Arrhenius of Gaul in the second century CE. I just like to me that 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 just kind of like frames it and sums it up really nicely Um, to just like name all of the things that we have put on this text that that aren't actually there. Right. Uh, I can think of no text um, besides this one. I, I would liken it to the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Right. That there's so much um, kind of assumptions and misinterpretation of that story. And the best thing is to actually open the Bible and say, okay, what actually does it say? And what actually is happening here? Because the, the interpretation of it as um, in, in both Sodom and Gomorrah and in this, the, the fall of um, in the Garden of Eden, those stories have taken on mythic proportions that are quite distorted from what the scriptures actually say. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to put into the notes this article um, by Dr. Delansky, just because I think it, she does a really, really good job of breaking down each of these myths, each of the different pieces and how they've been appropriated throughout history. Um, so I will add that because I, I just think like, if you read mm-hmm. anything extra outside of the podcast, this would be a good place to, to start for this particular Bible message. 
So the thing about this idea of like original sin and it being women's fault, um, this idea didn't start to actually get challenged until the 20th century um, when feminist theologians kind of came on the scene. And, and by mm -hmm. I say it didn't really get challenged, I actually don't know if it did. If other women throughout history, they were probably just condemned as witches and killed. Um, <laughs> Because that's how they dealt with women who spoke their minds and maybe had ideas contrary to the patriarchy. Um, they killed them. But about the time the 20th century came around, we stopped killing women for like having brains. Um, and so this is when sort Always. of- <laughs> Still happens, I think in some ways. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, this is um, this is when ideas like at least started to get like written down and widely publicized, and people actually started listening to them. Mm -hmm. um, and quite a few of like the foremothers of feminist the uh, theology, um, including uh, Mary Daly and Rosemary Radford Ruder, really, really push all of this onto Augustine. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so Arrhenius came up with the original sin language, but Augustine really went with it and just like wrote a whole thing about Genesis and has some, you know, pretty terrible things to, to say about women. Um, Augustine was uh, also a bishop in Hippo, which is in uh, modern day Algeria. Um, he lived um, from 354 to 430. So, so pretty early. Um, He's a saint. We have a lot of theology, like a lot of our doctrine, like can be traced back to Augustine. Um, you know, especially those that can trace their heritage directly back to the Roman Catholic church, which includes, you know, like Lutherans and, and we others. Um, and particularly Martin Luther um, loved Augustine um, mm -hmm. and particularly what he has to say about salvation and divine grace. Um, and just to, to name that too, like uh, Martin Luther was totally sexist, um, which, you know, didn't bother him what Augustine had to say uh, about women. But Augustine's theology on women um, is that where we get like, what this story is really, we get sort of the, the gender differentiation, right? Like they were just people before this. And then because of this problem, because of this thing, the woman did, it's all her fault. Now women must suffer these things that I wrote, that, that I said in, in verse 16, which isn't a part of the lectionary, but that was pretty important to include that, um, that it all comes down to this, right? Like that's when they were no longer equal because she committed this um, sin. And that um, Eve is associated with carnal lust, which is what drives men from righteousness into, into sin. It's, it's, it's women's fault because women are, you know, sexual and men lust after them. Like this is the entire, you know, ca cause of sin. And it's totally all Eve's fault. Um, but he doesn't believe it's because of, you know, her sexuality and her lust. It's all her fault um, because she is a less rational being. Um, than, than Adam. So she was more susceptible to being tricked. So in that era, they really actually thought women's brains were smaller and were different, uh, which is fascinating uh, how then the men have constructed this entire paradigm around, um, right, temptation and, and all these things. Whereas actually we also get from 
from Luther, our concept of free will, right? And so that's where <laughs> these things are really um, in conflict with one another because if now, if you happen to come from a reformed tradition, maybe if you're um, Presbyterian or um, Methodist or kind of some other United Church of Christ, you might have a different understanding. But for those of us that kind of are rooted in the Lutheran tradition, we, we don't believe in, um, we don't believe in predestination. And so we don't believe that um, God set these things in motion and that there's nothing that we can do to stop it. So I think that, that that's kind of interesting that in a sense that Luther's like hurting and Augustine their own argument because they're, they're saying that we are created um, to have free thought and decision, and yet the the devil made me do it. The woman made me do it. Yeah, sense creates these scapegoats, right? It creates this way to say this other thing outside of myself that I can't explain. Whereas, in fact, we we need to look um, within our own souls, right? Within our own um, reasons of why we are tempted at different times. What that's about. So. Uh, one thing that it, it makes me think of is, is to how kind of this sort of mindset, you know, gets used is, is I think in the perpetuation of, of rape culture that Absolutely. it's, well, she was dressed that way. So she had it coming. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's, you also had the free will not to rape her. Right. Like, right. I, you know, um, but that somehow it, it's continually the woman's, the woman's fault that, um, men don't have to exercise their free will in the same way. Right. I don't know if you've seen the documentary, The Hunting Game, um, but it mm. is excellent. And maybe it came out around 2015 and it, it really traces culture on college campuses and starting with um, UNC Chapel Hill and how difficult it is um, to actually call out accusers and to change the culture and, um, it's amazing. It says if your sons had a one in four chance of being shot, um, this would be a crisis. But the daughters having a one in four chance of being raped, that just is accepted as a part of their college experience. That is a horrible, horrible thing, right? Just to let. Um, I, I think you're dead on. That's precisely how we shame women today because of um because of their clothing, because of their hair, because of the length of their skirts, because of their makeup, because of lack of makeup, right? I mean, there's just all of the things in, um, and in fact, if we all took um, control of our own bodies and our own decisions, there, there would be less blame. So I remember uh, a couple of years ago, and I don't remember, it was, a, you know, it was, it was around the, the Me Too movement, because um, I'm thinking about this because like conservative, you know, there's still conservative um, evangelical Christians in the United States that, that totally put that on women. Like it's women's fault. If you don't want to be raped, dress better. And I think of, um, so uh, Rebecca St. James, who is um, a Christian singer, um, mm -hmm. is, is, is a very conservative evangelical singer in the United States, but a very good singer. Actually, like I used to like a lot of her stuff, but she kind of ruined herself with me in this one moment. She went on Fox news and literally said that it is those women's fault. It is their fault that, you know, wow. they had it coming that they asked for it. If they didn't want to be um, raped, they shouldn't dress like that. Um, and so then you get that. <sighs> That thing, right? That like a woman is a woman is somehow responsible 
Um, mm. You know, for for men sort of res- respecting, you know, their, their space, right? Like that's not. Yeah, that's just crazy to me. That's just really crazy because, um, and actually I think it's, it's all a part of um, the conservative Christian um, narrative around sexuality and body. And so then when they've created this culture where, right, that there is, uh, when I was growing up, there was this um, like never been kissed mo- movement, right? And that, um, so this purity culture where you would kiss for the first time on your wedding day, like no holding hands, nothing, which is crazy because then that means that all touch is sexual touch, right? That there's no like healthy way um, to touch a friend on the shoulder, on the elbow, on the knee, whatever. And, um, and I think that all of that kind of plays into it that, that yeah, that women with that we are just oozing um, temptation. And um, I think that <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that or seen the meme or heard that expression that like met, um, men's greatest um, men's greatest desire is, uh, you know, to have all the money in the world. Women's greatest desire is just to walk home safely at night uh, without getting robbed or raped, right? And I think that that's, that's really true, unfortunately. And, and I don't want to be um, binary and kind of like how we're talking about this, because I think there's plenty of people that feel vulnerable and marginalized for, um, for race, for, for gender, for sexual orientation, for any number of, of reasons. But Again, to, to say that one group is um, highly sexualized um, and luring another group in, that's, that just is, is um, it's just a really imbalanced and like healthy way, unhealthy way to talk about how we relate to one another. Yeah. And so that is not of God at the end of the day. I think, right, that that is, that is not how God understands how, how we relate to each other. Yeah. Well, you, so you've alluded to two things here, um, which one we're going to talk about, um, just like that idea that like, then all bodies are, are bad, right. That all bodies are, right. are sexualized. And so we, we get that in, in the language here, like this is what they learned, right. That then all of a sudden they were naked and they hid themselves that somehow then being naked is evil and, and, and naked is bad. And that bodies are inherently bad. And, and people, I have news for you. Like God created sex, with your bodies, right? Like that's, if it's inherently bad, why would God have not only given you the ability and the pleasure to do that, um, but secondly, that that's the way in which we procreate. Well said, well said. And I I think Christianity in particular has done uh, a uh, a serious job in the shame movement, right? on um, getting people to feel ashamed of their bodies and ashamed of sex mm-hmm. and um, that there is a, a wonderful way um, to recognize that this is that this is a gift of God. And of course that there's there's good uses and, and um, harmful uses, um, but that certainly um, God would not have given us um, this bodily form if it was only meant for, for destruction. Yeah. Also, so another thing you said about like, you know, just like, um, you know, the sort of being appropriated against, against, you know, not just women, but uh, against, you know, other, other sort of groups of people, again, understanding that if, you know, you're coming from Augustine and that place of power, what you're understanding and like 
generally like a white Western um, Christianity civilization is then that power is, you know, on, on the man, right? And that means your men, like in, in your society. So this has also been used, um, at, you know, defenders of slavery um, argued that, you know, the subordination of women was, you know, it was a logical consequence. And so then um, was that also used against slavery that somehow, because you know, Adam and Eve were, were clearly white. Um, and so then people with, with dark skin um, were then also inferior beings to this Adam of, of what it meant to be the, the image of God, right? And so if you're equating this man with the, the image of God, and then it's the woman's fault that he no longer has that, right? This image of God is then the man, and particularly the white man. And so then that's how it gets. Um, it was also, you know, uh, <laughs> some defining framework for the, the Nazism you know, movement too, against, against the Jewish people. Yeah, that's really disturbing. And, and again, like goes to show how we need to question scriptures and we need, we need to question, especially anytime someone is using um, the Bible as a weapon against another human, against creation, um, right? Against um, any form of part of society. Like that is, um, there isn't just one interpretation, right? And so I think we need to, again, go back to the source and, and look at uh, what is actually happening and understand that there's a lot of different interpretations. And that um, is, is one of the, the worst examples in human history, um, I would say, of using the Bible to defend slavery. I mean, in Nazism, I mean, that is just horrific um, to know. But that is when... Um, something good can be used for evil. It's possible. Yeah. So another thing um, uh, about this story, um, and again, understanding it and the different writers of the Bible is to understand that like, you know, this being about their story of how they came to be where they are. Um, and it's not, it's not a way to just, you know, place place blame, which we're, we're really good um, at doing at humans because we mm -hmm. really don't like, being responsible for anything that we do of ourselves. And I actually think that's the point of this entire story is like, listen, you did something, take responsibility for your actions, right? Um, and, and that's maybe what's more to be more important in here than an apple and whose fault is it, but. Right, yeah, in my, um, in my study Bible, in the introduction about this section, I, I think I really like that they talk about the symmetry of the story and about how this becomes, um, that this is the, the center, right? The transgression um, that um, if you think about any kind of story, there needs to be, you know, there, an inciting incident and then there needs to be, you know, conflict in the plot and, and that kind of thing. And then, so we need this to get to the other side, right? So that again, like that's the element of the story because how can the people learn, um, if, if there isn't some kind of drama or some kind of conflict. And so that's, again, why it's so bizarre that then in the worst moment, that is where Adam and Eve have been frozen throughout history, right? To say, this is it, like th this, you're focusing on the wrong part of the story, right? Because it's like, you get, you get to the middle part of the movie and, and somebody, um, you know, a whole town is killed and then you never keep, 
if you don't ever watch the redemption, you don't ever watch whatever happens in the back half of the movie, right? Then you, you've you completely missed the point. And so that's where uh, we've hit the pause button at the wrong place, right? If we if we stay fixated just on what's happening in Genesis 3.8, we need to keep seeing what happens to this um, to these humans and once they leave the garden. I think that that's where, that's where this is going. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of, of framing that. Um, and also, again, so this is where taking things out of their context um, can be hurtful. Um, and the audience already knows how I feel about the revised common lectionary, that I don't have a better solution, but I have a lot of complaints about it. Um, <laughs> And, and and these are the reasons why, right? So if you only get this snippet, right, you're not getting it, getting the the full story of what's going on. And, you know, even so like, you know, being very against, you know, proof texting, that thing where you take out chunks of the Bible and make it say what, what you want it to say in, in your context and not in its context. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes I struggle that the, that sometimes the revised common lectionary can get into that a little bit, like sometimes when we only take certain chunks, um, because sometimes it's to fit the theme of the day or whatever, like you're still just like, are you really just using it a little bit? Um, and so I don't like that, which is why we're talking about all of Genesis three. Right. I think a good example of that with the revised common lectionary is how verse 16 gets out. I know um, that it happened because they said, oh, oh, this is going too far. <laughs> like, oh, it's because of the women and the increase your pangs in childbirth. Like, okay, okay, we can't, we can't say that. We can't, we can't say that. Okay, but <laughs> I think actually including that um, helps us kind of understand um, the whole story in the context, right? And it really, uh, yeah, it, it helps uh, because when we just kind of pick and choose which verses that we include, um, we don't get the full story. Yeah. And, and another thing, so with that, and so this is um, why I want to like call some of these things out in these podcasts is particularly not against any pastor, because a lot of the topics we talk about are really, really hard to preach about and well, to preach about and not piss someone off. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's important to kind of like name it because I bet you a lot of pastors are not going to talk about the Genesis text on this Sunday. Um, first and foremost, because I think a lot of pastors just stick with the gospel because it's easier to talk about Jesus um, than unpack Genesis. Um, but to say like, if you never do that as a pastor, that means your congregation or those whom you are in charge with, with helping to teach Um, That's, you know, that's one of the things that we're supposed to do is to teach, right? And so if you're not teaching about these things, that means none of these things are getting broken down. So all they hear um, are the words, you know, that have been spoken throughout history. No one's ever offered them an alternative, you know, sort of point of view. Um, Which again, so this continues to get perpetuated, like it didn't stop with Augustine. Um, I actually, so the Catholic theologian Thomas Aquinas, I think is, um, so it really gets uh, my blood boiling a little bit. Um, because Thomas Aquinas uh, claimed that women are defective. They're defective males. Um, that something went wrong and that's, that's, that's why they're a defective male. Um, wow. That, so, and so what that is, is that perpetuates this idea that to be male is normal and anything mm-hmm. else is not. Right? You are an other if you are not like a cisgendered male. 
is is what that perpetuates and i think that that leads into a lot of the problems that we get with you know with our with our system of patriarchy and let's be clear like we live in a patriarchal system um and, and i want to define where's that at yeah i'd say in case you don't know this that also that is one of the primary arguments of why catholic priests must be male because jesus was male and if the priest is to stand between um, the people and God, of course, the priest also has to have male genitalia. Duh. And that just blows my mind that that argument that continues to hold, and it's actually not just Catholicism, right? But it's, it's, a, it's a, lot of, um, a lot of religious um, traditions only have male clergy for that precise reason. So to me, doesn't that like, doesn't that kind of like say that, you know, Genesis one doesn't really matter at all that that first account of creation just like doesn't matter where they're created, you know, together simultaneously. I think that blows people's mind. As we've talked um, six years or so that I've been a pastor, we've been talking about the two Genesis accounts. A lot of people know They've heard both stories, but they don't put it together that they're both in Genesis and that they're conflicting, right? And, and then we see this again in the New Testament, though. This is why we have four Gospels, right? There's four different accounts. And even within that, there's multiple accounts of what happened, what may have happened. And, and I think anytime we're trying to narrow, narrow God into a single um, interpretation, that's really making our God very small right? And who are we? Um, because there always is a, a hidden and revealed nature to God. And so the mist, we never fully understand the mystery. And so certainly even thousands of years later, we can't fully understand the mystery of creation. And, um, and, and people will never stop trying though, to say, aha, this is the right, <laughs> this is the right version, right? This is the right answer. And, um, would challenge any tradition, um, any person that, ha, I've settled on all the answers because of this side heaven, none of us really know. Right. And so that, that's, that's kind of how I feel too. Like I obviously like I have my opinions and I have the way that like I read the Bible, just like each and each and every one of us do. Um, and we all could be like dead wrong, right? Like that's, that's the risk mm -hmm. we take. Like we could all be just totally dead wrong. Um, and none of us will know until we're like, you know, reassimilated with, um, with God, how, however, however you, you express that or envision that to be. Um, mm -hmm. Cause again, not even that ag agrees. Right. And so like, we could all be we could all be wrong, but also to say that there is not one particular way that is the truth or the right, right way. That what Augustine said is not the words of God, um, and what Thomas Aquinas said is not the words of of God, um, and that they're no more or less right than I am. Right. And, and I think that's hard because in this age, um, I think we all know you can go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole, right? Or just Googling random things. And you're like, which, who do I listen to, right? Like which voice has authority and, um, and any topic, whether it's why do I have this weird rash on my arm or about like deep theological things, right? And so I think, 
But the truth is there's a spectrum of beliefs and there is a spectrum of voices. And it is okay for us to say that is no longer a voice that um, I'm giving authority to, right? For generations, leeches were the approved way, right? To remove um, any number of maladies. And now we can say, um, no, actually there's other ways that we are going to, um, that we're gonna solve illness. And so and th can't we evolve our theology also in saying that? For, and I think this is where there's really been um, a challenge, right? That when our, if our hymns are exclusively rooted in the middle ages and then our theology is kind of frozen of a different era. And in fact, um, even though the Bible is thousands of years old, it, our interpretation and our understanding is still evolving. And, and quite frankly, I think there's more that's happened in the past 50 years than it's happened in a really long time, which is so we happen to be living in a, in a challenging, but also a really groundbreaking time. Um, when you think about feminist theology, you think about womanist theology, you think about liberation theology, that there's so many different lenses that we're using now to um, interpret scripture that, that just weren't available in previous generations. Yeah, and I I think you did a really good job of like also like it it should be evolving our, our understanding of things like the more that like we grow and change as like humanity in general the more that we should be right like we should be changing um, yeah. and I think you can see that just within the biblical authors like you can see how they grew and changed in their understanding of things um, mm -hmm. and so there's no reason that we should be frozen in time to, you know, the, the 13th, 14th century that somehow <laughs> this was the culmination of human intelligence that whatever they said was, we'll never do it better. Or yeah, that, that doesn't make sense that, um, no, and we would get stuck there. For those of you that have been kind of scarred by, um, old theology, bad theology, um, limited interpretations, I'm sorry, um, because it's really, um, it can be damaging, you know, and I can't tell you how many people I've met through the years to say that I can't be a Christian um, because I don't believe in the literal resurrection, or I don't believe in the virgin birth, or I don't believe in X, Y, or Z. And I was like, guess what? I don't believe in those things either. And there is plenty of space um, within our tradition um, for people, you know what I mean? To, to, to be on a whole spectrum of beliefs on, on a variety of, of things. And just a quick story, my, um, as you know, my nephew, um, my niece and nephew live in Italy. And so they are getting some, some Catholication, but uh, so recently Hugo asked for a children's Bible so that he could um, see things for himself in English, right? And so we sent him one and he, he just sat down and read it cover to cover. And then he just like dropped it on the ground. He's like, there's some bad stuff in there. <laughs> and this is the children's Bible, mind you. <laughs> and I, um, and my mom was kind of horrified. Like, oh no, there's lots of love and, and joy and all this stuff. I was like, I kind of love that that was his reaction. <laughs> that like, yeah there's some bad stuff in there and like let's let's unpack that and like because guess what yes there's love and joy in the world but there's also a lot of bad stuff and so we need a god that is going to show up with us in the hardest the grittiest the ugliest of moments and um at its best that is what scripture does is it it um we have these stories that will accompany us and say we are not the only ones that have been naked and afraid
Yeah. I is which study, which children's Bible is it? Is it the, the spark story Bible? I think so. Yeah. Well, you should send um, Hugo the link to story time with pastor AJ, because that's exactly the Bible that we use to go through all of our Bible study stories. I will. My sister will love that. That's fantastic. Um, it's like really new. I've only done two, but it's going well. So I'm going to keep doing it. Excellent. Um, Excellent. But yeah, but I, I think that's important too. And so to, I, I think part of our problem too, with how we talk, uh, I think uh, to children about theology um, is we, we only focus on those rosy parts, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I've said this before, like the story of Noah's Ark, right? We, we focus on, you know, the cute animals that got on the boat, you know, two by two and got off three by three and that God put a big rainbow in the sky um, and totally ignore the fact that like, and, and actually, so one of my, one of my, um, one of my kids, um, that was his response this week about this story is like, this isn't a very nice story about God, right? This idea that like God killed everyone except for yeah. this one family. Um, and again, whether or not you're a literalist and take that story literally or not, what does this tell us about God, right? Like to, to wrestle mm-hmm. with that, that hard part. And just because you think your Bible study is only focusing on the animals, uh, in Sunday school, it doesn't mean that kids don't pick up on those things. And when we don't right. talk about it, it means that our children aren't getting to wrestle with those and they're being taught that they're not allowed to. So then all of a sudden they're mm-hmm. adults and they've never been allowed to wrestle with scripture. They've never been allowed to call God an asshole for flooding the earth, right? Not that your children should be doing that in Sunday school, but that's something I would have probably said listening. in Sunday school as a kid. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I had so many questions um, when I was growing up and there just wasn't the space in, in my, in my church with my Sunday school teachers and confirmation to ask questions that that wasn't, we were there to kind of memorize facts and, and historical timelines and, you know, the, the teachings of the church, but, but not to engage with, um, engage with the stories. And, and I think that's where we're shifting in how we talk about faith formation and, mm-hmm. Um, in this time, I think, I, I just think about the thousands and thousands of, of nurseries, uh, whether at home or at churches that are just filled with Noah's animals, right? And they're so cute with the rainbow and the borders on the wall. And, and it's true, like, <laughs> there's death and destruction before you get to that part of the story. And then Mrs. Noah doesn't even have a name. And so, I mean, there's just like a lot of things happening there, right? That we just gloss over. And um if we've learned anything in this pandemic year is that you have to talk about hard things at yeah. all yeah. ages, right? But that, um, because it, as much as we want to avoid um, the hard conversations, it's, it's just not possible. Right. And so again, it's like when you don't talk about it, um, you know, people are making up in their mind what it means mm-hmm. or, 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 or coming up with some alternative, you know, s- sort of version or right. because they were never told it was okay to talk about it. It just like they're averse to it altogether. Right. Um, and I, and I really think that that's a problem that, that we've experienced, um, in the, in the church. Right. So like, it's no secret to, to anyone who's out there, right. Like Church decline is a, is across the board. Doesn't matter what denomination you are, mm-hmm. any kind of Protestant, the Catholic Church is e- everyone. It's it's all in decline, right? right? Like people aren't going there. Um, and and I wonder, like, is a lot of it like part of our fault in our faith formation that like we didn't engage in this stuff enough critically um, that now all of a sudden 
people are just like, well, that's a load of bullshit because it doesn't make any sense to the world outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well then that's on us. Right. If we're not being able to, to do that and, and create that space. Um, Cause I know there's a lot of churches and I've talked to a lot of people like they didn't have the freedom to, to say those things or, or to go in and, and to be able to have conversations or, or question, you know, question the stuff that they're being taught. Right. And that's why I've loved the past decade that I've been working with young adults because it's, uh, that's the opposite of, of what um, our campus ministries are about. Um, overwhelmingly, the two words that you hear associated with Christianity are that it's um, judgmental and it's irrelevant, right? And those are the two precise things that we should not be, yeah. right? That God calls us to be unabashedly a loving, accepting um, place and um, and also connected with uh, what is happening in the real world. And so I I say over the sacrament of, of brownies and, and coffee, we have um, asked a million questions and, and wrestled with these things. And, and I, um, that's an, but it's a skill, I think. And that's what I hope, whatever age you are, as you were listening. I mean, I, I think having um, the questioning, um, first of all, it has to come from a place of safety, right? That you have to, if your faith is, is, um, has building blocks, right? And you think, oh, if you, if one gets poked, then the whole thing is going to come down. Mm-hmm. Um, then that, then you don't, you don't want to poke the structure, but if you are in a part of a, a faith community, a safe space where you can ask these questions and wrestle around, then uh, I think it's a, it's a powerful journey to the other side. Also, you can, if you want, you can uh, send me a message directly. If you go to Facebook, dot com forward slash shit they don't tell you on Sunday, you can send me a message and I'd be happy to talk with with you um, or your friends or just, you know, maybe wrestle with some questions that you're having. Also, if you send me questions, it could be fun topics that we're going to talk about, right? Because you probably have questions out there that like I'd love to talk about. Um, and, and so we can we can dig into them. Um, but Rebecca, you remind you made me think of so I, when I think of like the millennial generation um, and, and especially the you know, the Gen Z, uh, having the access to the internet in their hands, right? Like I, to me, it's the, it's, it's the, but why the, but why generation, like all, mm-hmm. all it just, but why? And then, you know, because previous generations, um, you asked your parents why, and they just said, you know, cause I said so, or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but these generations aren't accepting that. Like, that's not an acceptable answer. I need a reason I need, you know, to, to have more like critical thought and then to also like to to search for answers in a way that I think you know maybe previous generations just accepted things um rather than question them as as much as generations are doing now and I really do like you know I think technology has has a good chunk to do with that oh absolutely um to kind of to bring it full circle where we did that for so long there was um a predominantly um, Eurocentric male patriarchal point of view that um, dominated biblical interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. So that was um, that was the way. That was the only way that generations upon generations um, interpreted the Bible. And I think um, now we know uh, we know that. God is present on every con- con- um, continent and every right in every part of 
part of the world. And of course, the whole is going to manifest in different ways in different places. And I think I'll never forget like sitting in a Bible study with a, with a group of women in the Dominican Republic, and they were learning about liberation theology. And they basically said, but you are not poor. And we said, no. And they said, well, how, how could you ever understand God if you are not poor? Mm. Knew that they had a key to understanding the heart of God in a way that I was, I had too much privilege wow. right, to be wow. dependent. And it just, listen, like, they might be right. I, <laughs> I do. I, I honestly think our privilege gets in, in the way sometimes of under, of understanding God, of, mm-hmm. of understanding that, right. Like even understanding Jesus of, you know, Jesus spent his time, you know, with, with the outcasts and Jesus spent his time with sinners. Um, and so like, for for people on the inside looking out like that's hard for us to to understand but well for us it's like oh we need to then go out and help those people um but if you're on that outside looking in you know it's different you're like oh jesus is coming to me yeah and, and understanding that that's a different interpretation of the bible right i want to get back to just one more thing here because i i did want to talk a little bit about i because i mentioned it um and then we kind of went down a really great rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) But I want to throw it out there because I think it's important to to kind of talk about, as we've alluded to a little bit, this um, patriarchal structure that kind of, you know, kind of stems out of our our text here. Um, And so I want to give you this definition of of patriarchy from Ivan Guevara, who is a theologian, I believe in Brazil, but I could be wrong. I know it's a South American country, but I I don't remember off the top of my head right away. So I'm sorry about that. Out of her book, her book is called Out of, De- Out of Depths, Women's Experience of Evil and Salvation. Um, it's, a, it's a good perspective. Um, she is a feminist theologian, um, but a good perspective um, about these topics. And she says, patriarchy is the historical social system of governance, economic practice, and collective decision-making by men. The structure of patriarchy has permeated the entire existence of humans on this earth and with it has defined power and knowledge. So um, just what we're talking about. So like you get, oh, you did. She is from Brazil. See, this is what's helpful is you have the second person and we're on computers. And so then we, um, um, uh, we can um, utilize the internet. Um, which is also, again, like we, we do homework for this. We're doing our job. Um, but Right. Obviously she's an eco-feminist. That's why she's in my same stuff with um, Cynthia Molibito, who's a, also a great um, eco, eco-feminist. Um, if, if you're a member of Salem Lutheran Church in Baltimore, you've heard me um, talk about her before um, in her book, Resisting Structural Evil. Because um, I'm a little bit of a, a fangirl of the book. Um, and Rebecca and I met her at the same time, actually. Yes. Um, yeah, we uh, just when it had come out, I should go back and maybe it was that 2015, 2016. Yeah, 20, 2015. I'm trying to think. Um, yes. And so I would I want to go back and read that again. You've reminded me. So it's incredible. Yeah. So they talk about how like um, these sort of concepts that we that we get in in the patriarchal society that I mean, these are learned, right? These these mentalities are passed on from generation to generation. This socialization is taught. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so what that means is like, 
it's not truth, right? This is a taught reality. So it can change. Um, and Cynthia Molobito says like, if just you change, that doesn't change the system. But if not you and every other person, then it will never change. That it's both individual and, and collective to change some of these, these practices. Um, but she particularly identifies the system um, of patriarchy is, um, is, is the root cause for you know, the, the ecological damage in this world. Hmm. I'm reading an incredible book called The Sum of Us right now by Heather McGee. I don't know if, if you're familiar with that, but she's an economist and has a, um, a law degree. And she is talking about the economic realities of racial injustice in the United States. And it's excellent. And it's a secular book, of course, but it, along these same lines, it is unbelievable to, um, as she's able to trace from um, the housing crisis in 2009, I mean, all the way back to slavery, right? Like how these, the manifestations of these decisions um, have created a zero sum game, right? Mm -hmm. That when someone, um, people are consciously choosing to give the other nothing. Um, and she's saying, we're all losing because of that. And, and I think there's a lot of scripture that invites us that whenever we marginalized someone else, right. That, um, that, that, that is not of God. That is not how God calls us to treat our neighbor, how to treat creation, how to, um, how to engage with the world. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, like anytime, you know, you're, you're hearing the Bible being used as a weapon, maybe it's time to ask some more questions. Um, and, <laughs> Yep. And, and to dig deeper, um, because if, if that's what you're hearing, um, then um, it's an opportunity to, to, to reevaluate um, right. and find the God of love right. instead of the God of hate. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we need a little more of that right now. Yeah, we all do. Well, I, I think that that will be um, where we'll, we'll leave you today. I feel like we've given a lot of good nuggets to, um, to definitely to, to take, to, um, do some, some deeper digging and thinking, and I'll, um, put, put a couple of these, these links out here if, if you want to dig further. Um, but thank you, Pastor Rebecca, for, for joining us this week for this conversation. Absolutely. Um, so uh, look for us next Tuesday on Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday. Um, and by us, I mean me and someone else. Um, <laughs> and you can follow us at facebook.com forward slash Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday. And please subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts so that you can be notified when new episodes uh, come out. Um, thanks for journeying with us. And, and please share this with, with friends, with family, um, with those that you think could, could really use just, you know, a fresh, a fresh voice with the Bible um, and to journey with us through this. Take care, everyone.